Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Three weeks from this week is the 2022 NFL Draft. The Cardinals have eight picks, including one in each of the first three rounds. And to help us kick off our pre-draft coverage, Mike Jarecki unveils his list of top 50 prospects, beginning with players 41 to 50. But first, J.J. Watt, true to his word, ventured out into the community. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 550, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Going for Hopkins, one-handed catch and a touchdown! DeAndre Hopkins. Here's Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. It is good to be J.J. Watt. He's living the good life, MJ, and he's allowing us to follow along. For those that might have missed it, last Thursday, March 31st, he was at Tempe Diablo Stadium to watch the Angels and Brewers play one of their last Cactus League games. There was Watt front row, made it onto the TV broadcast, and then a whole bunch of photos posted afterwards with both teams because, you know, Watt's a Milwaukee guy, Wisconsin, but he's a big Angels fan, as evidenced by his social media posts. Is that because of uh, Otani? Yeah. Shohei Otani, there was a picture of those two. And then, how about this foursome? Watt, Otani, Mike Trout, and Justin Upton, prior to Upton being designated for assignment. So those were the messages, the photos posted on Thursday. And then Saturday, the big deal. Watt posted a video message. He wanted to meet the fans, something he had mentioned earlier that he didn't think he really had much of an opportunity because of the pandemic. He wants to be out and about. So the message at about noon on Saturday to Cardinal fans, join him at a local dive bar, Coach House in Scottsdale. And there J.J. Watt was for a couple of hours. And he let you know that, you know, he obviously was going to stay there for maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and then he's going to go watch the game with his wife. So he gave you a heads up. Yeah, I saw pictures. I mean, this guy is a man of the people. I mean, he ingrates himself. Even in Wisconsin, we don't see a lot of stuff he does there. Obviously, he played college football there, grew up. And then you look at what he did for, for um, you know, Katrina, raising all that money. I mean, over $400 million. I think the goal, he said, was, what, 100000 or 250000 and it just took on a life of its own. And, and here – you know, he, he, he is at sporting events. Um, he does go to games. But this is really cool that he would do this. Uh, obviously, short notice. But, you know, hopefully people took advantage of it. But that's just who he is. And, you know, obviously we judge him on what he does on the field. But you cannot knock this guy where he really wants to be ingrained in the community that he's playing in or he lived in or previous his hometown. I love the message because he had two disclaimers. One. He wasn't sure how many people were going to be able to be admitted into the bar because it's a small area. And then, two, he had to make sure he was home by tip-off of the Duke-North Carolina game because, as he mentioned, his wife is a Tar Heel. Therefore, he is a Tar Heel by default. You have to. If your wife is a fan of that, then he has to. And obviously, Tar Heels win. And as J.J. Watt posted afterwards, happy wife, happy life. Yes, and uh, looking forward to the to the matchup tonight. But yeah, it, it's it's nice. And the pandemic. I mean, we mentioned it last week. When we don't know all the details, but the locker room is going to be open. We really have not met DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins. Uh, I can go down the list. I don't want to bore you, but the point is, 
they've been in interviews, some have been Zoom, we've been in the room, but we haven't had a face-to-face conversation. So um, for those that met J.J. Watt, you, we, you, we, you and I got a chance to see him and talk to him when he got tra- uh, traded, correct? Correct. And then after that, he's come in here and done some uh, some audio stuff that you uh, you and Jimmy helped him out on. But otherwise, it's like pulling teeth when you get when I get to talk to these guys. But again, I understand the circumstances, and they obviously wanted to protect the players. Darren Urban had a great story up on azcardinals.com. There were some pictures posted, some videos posted, and apparently J.J. Watt, the big winner at Golden Tee, one of the games that was at Coach House. So I think a lot of fun by everyone, and maybe if you're just there at that bar, at that dive bar, and all of a sudden in watch J.J. Watt, he was sporting an authentic Steve Nash throwback Suns uniform. And you're like, you're like, God, that's, that looks like J.J. Watt. Well, yes, it was Play J.J. The crowd, Watt. right? Yeah. And do you think he has one of those at home? A golden tee? Yeah. He might. <laughs> we know he loves golf. I know. I'm just saying. He got a big house. And you know, eventually, you get a lot of uh, nice toys. So, I'm not saying he was going there, you know, trying to take people's money to play for <laughs> drinks. I'm just saying, I wonder if he has some experience with the golden tee. little bragging rights. And if you're able to beat J.J. Watt, then that's what you can write home yeah. about. And you say, hey, look, I right. beat J.J. Watt at golden right. tee or whatever the game was. So, props to J.J. Watt. We'll see if he does this more often. But it is a follow if you are a Cardinals fan. And in the area, Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, J.J. Watt might make a habit of this. Don't know that for a fact, but he might be one of those guys you want to follow on Twitter or Instagram because you don't know where he's going to be and then all of a sudden invite people out for a meet and greet. Well, I would think it would be around a sporting event. Correct. You know, obviously, you know, I think the the Cardinals players will be in town. I'm sure there will be a lot of uh, Cardinal players at Suns games. Maybe he can do something else. But it's, I think it's got to be around a sporting event where he, maybe it's off off-site where he's going to be there, but I anticipate a lot of those guys are going to be going to the Suns playoff games. April 19th, that's the date. Tuesday is when the Cardinals will begin their workout program. That is the date that they have selected. They could have started on that Monday the 18th, but they're allowing another day and beginning on Tuesday. There are a handful of teams that are beginning on this Monday because off-season workout programs are allowed for teams with new head coaches. You get a little bit of a head start. Dolphins, Bears, Giants, and Saints I saw all beginning here on this Monday, April 4th. Yeah, and we'll put a uh, period on J.J. Watt. I can't tell you how much he's been at the facility. Um, he came back. I don't think he was 100%, but he obviously you know, uh, you know, know, made a commitment to come back, try to give this team a lift. So you know, I don't know how much he's going to do in the offseason, but hopefully he can stay healthy because they need him. I mean – you know, after the first couple of games, you start to see him settle in. But I'm glad that he does a lot of cardio. Obviously, he's been in the weight room with Kyler Murray. There was a, a video last week. So uh, I think he's good to go, and he's probably got a chip on his shoulder where he wants to come in here and play all 17 games. And you can't control that, though. His numbers weren't outstanding. I mean, they didn't jump off the page those first seven games, but you could tell the impact that he had his teammates making plays because – offenses had to account for J.J. Watt. This is no different than the DeAndre Hopkins. His numbers weren't eye-popping, but defense had to account for number 10. And I think that you talk about presence, and there is no column in the stat sheet that you can circle or point to and say that was where that player made an impact. But a DeAndre Hopkins, a J.J. Watt, just them being on the field can be the difference in a play being made or play not being made. Well, I mean, let's be honest. He was on the field in week one, and who, who were they going to double? Are they going to double J.J. Watt? You, what they don't show in, in, this, in the stat sheet is he split a double team. 
and he allowed somebody else to come in there and clean up. He did have a tackle for loss, I want to say, in the second play of the game. And then Chandler Jones, I mean, he had five sacks in that game. So, yeah, I, again, um, we want J.J. Water, the team, we want him deep into the postseason. But obviously, you know, he's getting up there in age, and he takes care of his body. It's just unfortunate that injury happened. And he stayed in the game until the third quarter, and then finally you could see he – protecting that shoulder, and that's not a good thing when you're trying to tackle people. And he was really coming into his own as far as those numbers. Those last three games before the injury, nine tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, seven quarterback hits, two passes, defense, one forced fumble. So he was making an impact even in the stat column, but early on in the season it was like, all right, to your point, Tennessee Titans week one, they're very familiar with J.J. Watt. What are you going to do? Pay attention to 99 or number 55, which had an outstanding week one performance. And then all of a sudden, Team York, we can't double both, so you had to pick one or the other. Well, you know, you look at it, if if they were able to run the football, J.J. Watt would have had a more of an impact because of the rush defense. Here, um, they got behind and they had to throw it, and that's where the Cardinals kind of teed off. But normally they thought they can run the football down our throats, and that did not happen. Now, it did happen the following weeks till he got hurt, but when you go into that game plan, hey, we'll just chip this guy, but we think we can run on J.J. Watt in this Cardinals defense, and it did not happen. So hopefully a healthy for 17 games, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. That's the goal in 2022. As we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. The other item I wanted to point out, and this was something that from afar I had a thought, and then I related to you, and you had the same thought, and maybe – Maybe we're not on an island here. Maybe other fans had the same thought as well. And this was a trade on Saturday between the Dolphins and Patriots. Forget the fact that division, in-division trades don't happen a lot. But the fact that all of a sudden wide receiver Devontae Parker, who was not on the trade block, but his name surfaced immediately following the Tyreek Hill acquisition, that what were the Dolphins going to do with all these weapons? And perhaps maybe they would be open to parting with one of those players to make it a little bit easier for everyone else. Well, Devontae Parker, wide receiver, 29 years old. He's six foot three. He does fill a need for the Arizona Cardinals as far as that outside wide receiver. And the Patriots acquire him for a third-round pick, but not this year's third-round pick a 2023 third-round pick. And my question to you over the weekend, MJ, was, and again, without knowing anything, I hope that the Cardinals at least picked up the phone and inquired because what have we been talking about? Edge rusher and an outside wide receiver. And I need to qualify as far as, I keep saying number two wide receiver, but I do think that perhaps maybe that could be Rondell Moore. Maybe that could be someone else. Zach Ertz as far as a pass catcher. When I say another wide receiver or an outside wide receiver, I'm looking for that six-foot or taller wide receiver on the outside opposite DeAndre Hopkins that can help stretch the field and open up the middle. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you see some of these guys come off the board, and, you know, clearly the Cardinals don't have the cap space that other teams have, and this is part of the, you know, obviously probably waiting for the market to dry up. Some guys, you know, that teams are going in camp, Cardinals open up their camp, on the 16th, so maybe we'll see some more additions. Obviously, you can only have 90-man roster, but yeah, I, I thought the same thing, um, and it's interesting. They traded inside the division, which you normally don't see. It's, it's, it's happened more this offseason, and then you go back to when Donovan McNabb was traded from the Eagles to Washington. It's very unusual to trade in the division, and obviously Belichick felt like he was not going to overpay for one of these receivers, and he gets him on a two-year deal, about $6 million. 
there's no bonus money involved. And, and to me, he's an ex-receiver, so he basically would be hop. But that doesn't mean he can't play on the other side. And we don't know. I don't, I don't want to pigeonhole Rondell Moore as a number two receiver right now. I, I think he's more a three and then Wesley and then you just – He could grow into yes. that number two as far as being your second best threat as a pass catcher. Yes, and if he, if he learns a route tree like Cooper Cup, not comparing, just the fact that Sean Jefferson had a conversation with him, I think Ertz is going to get targeted probably more just based on matchups. But, yeah, I, I think he's more of a three. But, but he's going to be on the field for all three downs. I mean, it's not like you're going to take him off and rotate him. I mean, Rondell Moore is going to have a bigger role. I just don't want to just pigeonhole him automatically he's a number two. I think that's unfair to him. I mean, you can have a plan. Hey, we see him as that next wide receiver, that number two wide receiver, meaning he can be inside, outside, and perhaps be, to your comparison, Cooper Cup, who moves around a lot, and he is the Rams' number one wide receiver. For the Cardinals, it's DeAndre Hopkins. Then there's a question mark. There's an honest question mark as far as your second best wide receiver. Right now, on paper, it's Rondell Moore, and I'm just – counting wide receivers, not including tight ends and running backs, because potentially this offense, you might have Zach Ertz as your number two wide receiver, pass catcher, if you will. How does James Conner fit into that mix to where Rondell Moore, maybe when you look at the final stats, he's your fourth best receiver in terms of catches and receiving yards. I still think this offense needs someone else, and it can't be Antoine Wesley. It can't be someone you get in the draft either on the first day or the second day, meaning in the second or third round. That's too much pressure to put on a young player, in my opinion. Yeah, and we know the Cardinals have definitely invested with wide receivers um, in the second round, Rondell Moore, um, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, and then you look at that draft between Akeem Butler and Keyshawn Johnson, and it just didn't pan out. And, again, they've had different wide receivers coaches. They have one of the best technicians. So, yeah, I mean, look at Christian Kirk. It took him a while to be that third receiver. And last year, obviously, when no longer Larry, that was his, his role. But it takes, it takes a little time. But, again, we I think we agree about this guy. He's, he's got a mature mentality. Kind of reminds me of Bolden when he came into camp where it's all business. So I'm sure he's working out. And, and you know, I, I don't know if it's a breakout year, but he's gonna he's definitely going to be used, and they're going to move him around. And that's something that the offense got stagnant last year when Hop went out. Sean Jefferson brought that up on his conversation with Paul Calvisi and Ron Wolfley on the Big Red Rage earlier this offseason about expanding that route tree for Rondell Moore, putting him outside, utilizing his speed. He is fast, and if he can beat that defender off the line of scrimmage, then all of a sudden he's got a step or two, and that's really all he needs. And not, you know, heck, you know, in this level of football, you don't need a lot of separation because quarterbacks have to throw the football and sometimes throw you open. Even though you might be quote-unquote covered, still put the ball in position to where one of two things happens. Rondell Moore catches it, or it's out of bounds. Or it's deflected by Moore to where he does not, the defender doesn't get his hand on the football. All right, so let's say hypothetically the Cardinals are able to retain A.J. Green. And maybe they're waiting for the draft because according to Daniel Jeremiah, you can go 20 deep at edge rusher. Wow. I mean, I Again, some guys are going to fall. Some guys will. Once you get a run in a position, you'll see how fast they come off the board. But what if they what if they were able to sign an outside linebacker? Again, I don't want to throw out names because people start to connect. I don't have any information. But you 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 think if you drafted a receiver in the first round, he wouldn't be ready, or just the complex of the offense? 
I think it's asking too much. And who knows? Maybe you get through the off-season workouts, you get through training camp, and that young wide receiver, pick number 23, you're like, you know what, we have something here, and maybe we do have A.J. Green, but all of a sudden it's, okay, well, now we're going to split reps, i.e., a year ago, Malcolm Butler and Marco Wilson. You bring in a Malcolm Butler because you don't know what you're going to have at your roster when the draft is finished. And then you get into training camp, and you're like, well, this young kid, Marco Wilson, he's pushing for time, and, you know, he's gonna he has to be on the football field and that's what that's part of what happened why Malcolm Butler kind of walked away from the Arizona Cardinals in his one year of retirement see this is the way I'm thinking and we've talked about 12 personnel but I'm thinking if you retain AJ Green okay and you know I think he made six plus I don't know what kind of markets out there um, we know the Cardinals obviously have incentives in a lot of contracts you can you know obviously move money around but if you if you retain AJ Green and you draft a guy he's he doesn't have to play every down you know, you, you give small sample. And I know the thing is, whoever you pick at 23, now if they take a tackle, is that guy going to see the field this year? But but also Calvin Beecham's a free agent. Yep. Humphreys is a free agent, which you think they'll, they'll try to retain him at some point. And the fan base would go nuts because Zayvon Collins didn't see the field last year as much. And Isaiah Simmons in his, it was really the second half of the season. I'm not saying he's a plug-and-play guy, but he can have a role on this team where he's 40 snaps and all of a sudden he's the speed guy because – you and I and Darren and Danny Sarek, we did a video, and they're all shapes and sizes when it comes to these receivers. And I, you've been very consistent. Went, I don't want any more small receivers, but you look at a couple of the Ohio State receivers, they're, they're, they're fast. I mean, I know we got Rondell Moore, and we'll see what Andy Isabella, but there's some guy 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and I think that's what you're looking for. You want someone uh, – again, it's, it's my own personal want slash need with a wide receiver. Someone who is 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", can obviously catch the ball, strong hands, and knows what they're doing as far as running routes. Who that wide receiver is, I don't have names. I'm not an expert. I don't break down film. I leave it to those individuals that that's what they do. And obviously, we just react here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But that is that is kind of my want. Same goes for outside linebacker. Those two positions, edge rusher and a number two wide receiver, an outside wide receiver, those two positions need to be addressed, and I don't know if they will, before the draft. And even if there aren't, and even if you find that edge rusher and wide receiver – Two of your top three picks, first round, second round, third round. I do want to see a veteran signed because, as history indicates, you can't count on a rookie to come in and be ready week one. Now, if it happens, great. I applaud the player. I applaud the front offers for getting it right. But, but we, you have to have a backup plan. Yeah, we, we've seen this over the past, though. I mean, it, it sounds good on draft night, and then you try to figure out how is he going to you know get on the field. But – you know, that's that's the beauty of the coaching staff. You know, I know Steve made that comment on Zayvon Collins, and at the end of the day, you know, you got to let the coaches decide who's going to start. And clearly he wasn't ready, but they're, they're hoping big things from him. Yeah, so if you sign A.J. Green, it's still a need, though. Correct. So maybe you can go corner or pass rush and try to get a wide receiver in the second round. Yes, and that's, and that's where you like, all right, this class is deep at certain positions – it's right. obviously, according to Darren, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, that it's deep at edge rusher, but there's a dramatic drop-off between the, say, the top four, top five, and then everyone else. So where do you – how do you rank your board 
based off positional needs, and then within those positional needs at edge rusher, wide receiver, cornerback, how do you rank those players and give a quote-unquote grade? Can you find that corner in the third round and be comfortable? Can you find that edge rusher in the second round and still be comfortable? Hey, we've got someone here, and I'm not saying you need someone that can get you double-digit sacks, but get into the backfield, disrupt an offense, and have an impact. You know, I'm not I, I haven't seen enough uh, Victor DiMuchegi to say he couldn't, he can be that guy. We got the comp on draft night that he's like Marcus Golden. Well, that's great, but he's not there yet. And I'm sorry, I can't go into week one with Marcus Golden on one side and DiMuchegi on the other and say, all right, let's go play ball. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that. But he, you know, he learned to play special teams last year. And I got a chance to talk to Jeff Rogers, and he said he exceeded his expect- expectations. He said he's a guy that works hard in camp, doesn't take a playoff. Um, you know, but if you want to get with a rotation, a certain package, I would bring him in because I think he's I think he can accelerate. He's, he's got strong hands. Could he win a, a one-on-one matchup with a guy 6'5"? I don't know. But I'm saying, though, I would think he'd be more involved in packages because he's going to be active on game day playing on teams. So you have a rotation at edge rusher. Perhaps you have a rotation Gardeck. at – cornerback a rotation at wide receiver depending on how all of this shakes up but to me it's edge rusher when I say a number two wide receiver an outside wide receiver and cornerback those would be the three wants slash needs within this draft remember we got eight draft picks one in each of the first three rounds and then not again until the sixth round so there is a long time to wait and it's going back to our conversation about Devontae Parker was a third round pick too much next year and it's next year but it was that still too high of a price to pay for the Arizona Cardinals if even if they had any interest which I do not know but just looking at my personal want and need tall wide receiver he's a known commodity although the last two seasons haven't been great his best year was 2019 and his numbers have kind of dropped off each of the past two seasons so is it Devontae Parker? Is it A.J. Green? I just want someone there and it not be a draft pick. Well, if you're talking about tall receivers, I don't think the Cardinals would have any interest in Nikhil Harry. Um, a lot of fans thought they would draft him, but they, they went with uh, uh, Byron Murphy at that point, so they wanted a corner. But, yeah, I mean, it looks like this is a huge indictment on Nikhil Harry. I mean, it's, it's disappointing because he looks the part – um, he is that tall receiver, but he can't get off press coverage, slow coming out of his breaks. So we'll see if they try to trade him. But I I, I, don't, I don't think the Cardinals would have any interest in Nikhil Carey. Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. This our first show in the month of April, and April means draft coverage. And we did this a year ago and had a lot of fun with it because it allowed – at least allow myself to kind of familiarize myself with a lot of these names. And when you're picking 23, you have to know a lot of different names. And maybe even with that second-round pick, number 55 overall, someone that you hope can contribute right away. So we we put Mike Jarecki to task. We gave him a homework assignment as far as top 50 draft prospects. Not a mock draft, but his 50 best draft prospects, regardless of position, and then he ranks them, and then we kind of talk about them. And we'll do a little of this each and every show ahead of the first round on April 28th as far as day one of the NFL draft. But Mike Jarecki's top 50 draft prospects will begin to unveil those here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and we'll rank them. 
on this show, this episode, numbers 50 to 41. Top 50 prospects, according to Mike Jarecki. And in at number 50, Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal, junior, six foot four, 283 pounds. Now, if you go back to last season, he was top 10 in a lot of different uh, draft boards. But sadly, he didn't perform at a high level, and he took a step back. But, you know, the, the question is, can he develop in the future? But he's got the size. Um, his grades were down, but you, you look at it, and he was a first-team Associated Press All-American. He went to Texas A&M. You're going to see a lot of players get drafted there with Jumbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher. He was first-team All-SEC, AP All-Pro team. Um, he's played in 29 games. He does have 25 tackle for losses. He is a defensive tackle, but he's got good size. Um, I do think he'll go in the second round, but when you look, when you pop in the tape, it looks like he took a step back, and I don't know if that was injury or not. But like I said, he's got good size. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that, um, you know, when you look at his career, and initially he only played seven games, 10 and 12. So he has played in 35 games with 29 starts. And, and again, 6'4", 290, he's got really good size. And he's from San Antonio, Texas. A finalist for the Ted Hendricks Award, which is given to the nation's top defensive end. So he did play a little bit on the edge and interior. We'll kind of have to kind of wait and see what that a particular team would look at him as far as, all right, are you a three down or are you, a, you know, put your hand in the dirt defensive end or are you more inside to kind of occupy space? But the Marvin Leal Jr., six foot four, out of Texas A&M, number fifty on Mike Jarecki's top fifty draft prospects. All right, another defensive lineman, number forty-nine, out of Houston, Logan Hall, senior, six-six, two hundred eighty-three, ran a sub-four-nine forty and had a thirty-inch vertical jump. An athletic defensive lineman again can play both the edge and interior. Yeah, and we focus so much on on the the edge rusher, obviously, because you lost Chandler Jones, and you know you got to find someone that can win some one on one matchups. But let's be honest; I mean, this defensive line last year they're getting gash at certain times. Obviously, you get a healthy JJ Watt, see more development in Rashard Lawrence and Lucky Foto and Michael Dogby. Um, but you you look at this; he was a first team All American at Athletic Conference, career high forty eight tackles, thirteen tackle for losses, six point five sacks. He accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl, and you know there are, he played twelve games and three starts at nose tackle. Um, so you, you're right; he can move around a little bit, uh, including uh, uh, Bruce Feldman. He had him on his twenty twenty one freak list: three hundred and seventy pound pound bench back, three sixty five clean, and so. Bruce Feldman labeled him as kind of a freak when you look at that size, almost 6'6", and 280 pounds. Already, there are a lot of Cardinal fans kind of putting one and one together to get two because Vance Joseph was at Houston's Pro Day and actually spoke, was asked about Logan Hall in particular, Fox 26's Mark Berman. And if you go to his social media account, there is a video of Vance Joseph. Here is what Coach Joseph had to say specifically about Logan Hall. Quote, the size, the movement, he's in great shape. The league now has become a lateral game, so to have big guys who can run and hustle constantly, it gives a defense a huge advantage. He's a kid who can obviously run and make plays in the backfield, obviously rush the passer. End quote. Now, is Logan Hall available at number 23? I think that's way too too much of a leap, but perhaps at number 55 in the second round, depending on did Coach Joseph 
like what he had to see out of Logan Hall at Houston's Pro Day. And the comp is Marcus Davenport. You remember he was kind of – he went to the Saints. Everyone was surprised. I know the Cardinals didn't have interest in him. So the Lillism is long-range defensive tackle with room to add weight. A pass where he comes off the ball a little bit too high. Um, but, again, I think that's a position where you can plug and play. And we mentioned some of the guys on the roster right now. It would be nice to – you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Corey Peters. J.J. Watts are not going to play forever. So more of a second-round pick. But he has the – he has the um, – the upside to where you think as long as he's in shape, and that was good that Van said that, you know, obviously that's their biggest interview is the pro day in the combine. So that's a name to keep an eye on, whether he gets to 55 or not, but I do think he's going to be in in the top 50 or top 60. Well, he did make Mike Jarecki's top 50 list as we continue counting down. And at number 48, a theme here because we've got another defensive lineman, Oklahoma defensive tackle, Perrion Winfrey Sr., six foot four, 290 pounds. He checks in at number 58. This is a big boy, Craig. 6'4", as you mentioned, 303. His, his wingspan is 86 inches. Now, he accepted an invitation to the to the uh, Senior Bowl. He was a second-team, uh, two-time, all-big uh, conference in 20 and 21. Last year, he had 11 tackle for losses, five and a half sacks in, in 12 games. But he's a guy hasn't played a lot of football. He was at Iowa Western Community College the first two years, and then he transferred to play at Oklahoma. He has 23 games. He started 20. Um, he has 17 tackle for losses. So he's more of an interior guy. He's not really going to fill out the stat sheet, but he does have tackle at the line of scrimmage, at least 42. He was the MVP of the Senior Bowl. Five tackles, one tackle for loss, and two sacks. So he was very disruptive. And there are a lot of teams that put a lot of stock in what you do the week of and then the game itself. Remember, that's where the Cardinals kind of really fell in love with Hassan Reddick was during the Senior Bowl. So Perrion Winfrey, 6'4", 290, second team, all Big 12, but the MVP of the Senior Bowl, so a dominant performance in non-contest. So your first three draft prospects out of the gate, 50, 49, and 48 all on the defensive line. Yeah, and if I recall, he, they couldn't they couldn't block him. Now, he can go a lot higher. Um, again, I think it's going to be you're seeing a lot of edge rushers. You're going to see some wide receivers. You're going to see offensive tackles. You could have a couple quarterbacks in there. I don't know about tight end and running back maybe later in the first round. But, yeah, he, he was unblockable. So, um, again, this is what I think the Cardinals need. They need another defensive tackle. We, we focus on the pass rusher. I get that. But, you know, considering the teams that, that are on their schedule – you can start looking at the running backs and their offensive line. Um, he may go a lot higher. Again, this is not a mock draft. I'm just ranking players from from 50 to 1. Well, we stay on the defensive side, but now looking at edge rusher, and this might be the one, one of the more intriguing names as far as draft prospects because you have at number 47 Michigan outside linebacker David Ojabo, junior, six foot four, 250 pounds, he is, or was, projected to be a day one selection, but a torn Achilles suffered at his pro day. Has many people projecting him now to be a day two, hear his name called? Well, I think if you're a team picking in the late 20s, and I'm not including the Cardinals here because it looks like he may have to redshirt, maybe he's available in the second half of the season, but if you have a team that maybe you have an older veteran player playing that position, you may want to take a flyer on him and just redshirt him. You're not drafting him for one year, and plus you get that fifth-year option. I don't. He, he definitely lost a lot of money. It's unfortunate. Now, as you mentioned, um, second-team Associated Press All-American, first-team All-Big Ten. He was the defensive scout team player of the year. He started playing football in high school. Um, the problem is 
He's only played he's played in 20 games, but he's only started seven. Again, he um, he was born in Nigeria. He moved to Scotland in 2007, and then he came to the USA for high school. So maybe a late bloomer. Um, but he's a guy that's productive when he's on the field. Um, but again, it, he didn't. He's a late bloomer, but he did grow up in, in Nigeria. And you look at his numbers this past season: thirty-five tackles, twelve tackles for loss, eleven sacks, a school record, five forced fumbles. Now that sounds great, but you have to remember his teammate Aiden Hutchinson. So now all of a sudden, you've got two of these dynamic edge rushers, and defense. Excuse me, offenses have to go. All right, well, what do we do here? So. Is Ojabo can he do it on his own, or did he need a little bit of help? Well, I, you know that's that's an interesting because when you go through the list, I got a ton of Georgia players and Alabama players, <laughs> and Texas A and M. Um, I do think if he didn't get hurt, he, he could have been a top twenty pick. I mean, oh, I don't think there's any question about yeah, that. Yeah, right. But now it's just, and again, if there's eight teams that have two picks each in the first round. And if you got that veteran player that, you know, let's look ahead a bit, well, we'll just redshirt this guy, it's possible, but he's not going to go as high as he, everyone thought he would. And I don't think that's an option for the Cardinals because I don't think they can roll the dice, take a chance on someone for years to come. They need that guy, especially pick number 23, to really kind of perform right now. You can't wait. All right, we continue. Mike Jarecki's top 50 draft prospects still looking for our first offensive player, but it's not going to come in at number 46 as safety. Georgia safety. Lewin Syme, junior, 6'2", 199, ran a 4-3-7-40. The defensive MVP of the national championship game. So we've seen defensive linemen, one linebacker, and now in at number 46, our first safety Lewin signed. Yeah, and he he's he's tall and lanky. He's, as you mentioned, 6'1", 200 pounds. He, he played for Georgia. Uh, maybe you remember in, in the bowl game. But this guy, as you mentioned, uh, is the de- uh, defensive MVP, but also 2021 third-team Associated Press All-American, 2021 second-team All-SEC. He led the team in tackles and PBUs. He had 73 tackles and nine passes. Uh, now, you look at a guy – He's played in 39 games, but over the last two years, he started 25. So you could see he's he's obviously a talented player. He was a highly recruited. He's a four-star recruit coming out of Texas, um, and he was named the 2017 MA Defensive Player of the Year by the USA Today. So this guy, obviously, when you go to Georgia, you better bring your hard hat. And it seems like he does play a little bit more away from the line of scrimmage based off his overall numbers, two interceptions, 14 pass deflections, not a lot of – you know, in the backfield movement, but someone at 6'2", 199, that's a, that's a big, big safety for a team that is looking for perhaps safety. If I don't think the Cardinals are right now with Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson. Yeah, and, and let's not forget about James Wiggins. Um, you know, I know he hasn't got a chance to play, but I ran into him the other day. Boy, he looks like he's been hitting the weight room. And, and the good news is when you look at Lewis, I mean, he started all 15 games. So it's, it's not like, you know, his first year, he only played in – started four, 14, but he only had two game starts. So that was more on special teams. But it seems like his durability is there, and that's something that will help him. Five picks in, or I should say five draft prospects into our countdown from number 50. And at 45, our first offensive player, and it is a wide receiver out of North Dakota State, Christian Watson, 6'4", 208, ran a sub 4 440 and a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical jump at the combine. 
This guy's a freak. Um, tall and lean. He's, you mentioned 6'4", 211. You know, you look at his career. Um, he's played in uh, 52 games, started 31. He has 105 receptions, 2,000 yards, averages 20 yards a catch, 14 receiving touchdowns, and he also has r- rushing touchdowns. So he's, he's used more of a gadget guy. He accepted an invitation to the to the combine. He was second-team associate press All-American for an FC school, first-team All-Missouri. So this guy went to a small school, and we know that when you look Carson Wentz and even you know take a guy like Josh Allen, uh, if you can play football, they're, they're, they're going to find you. Look at, look at Cooper Cup. I mean, third round, right? Yeah. He was a mid-pick that, you know, now all of a sudden he's one of the best, if not the best, wide receivers in all of football. And the ability for Watson to not only catch the ball, but run the ball and return kicks. So you're getting someone that can fill three different spots on your roster. You look at Watson's uh, uh, genes and his, his family. His brother, Trey, played linebacker at Illinois and Maryland. He eventually played in the XFL. His father, Tim, played at Harvard. He had a five-year career. His uncle, Cedric, played football at Marshall. So he grew up playing football. Yeah, it's in his blood. It, it, it's, it's part of the family, playing not only high college football, but also in the NFL as well. So Christian Watson, wide receiver out of North Dakota State, in at number 45. 44, another wide receiver, Western Michigan, Sky Moore. And Sky is spelled S-K-Y-Y. Two Ys. So if the Cardinals select him, we'll have to ask why that second Y. But 5'10", 195, ran a 4-4-1-40, 34.5-inch vertical jump, a three-year starter out of Western Michigan. Man, I really like this guy. I, I know he's only 5'10", 195, and we have a, you know, the Cardinals have a couple guys on the roster right there. But yeah, I mean, you talk about production. I mean, this guy started in 29 games, 171 catches, 2,500 yards, 16 receiving touchdowns. He had three rushing. Um, he was a two-time first-team All-Mac in 2019, 2020. He tied for ninth in the in college football with 95 receptions. He's he could fly now. He's a two-time conference offensive player. He's also named defensive player as a senior. He played quarterback and DB in high school, lettered in basketball, also an all-selection as a point guard as a junior and senior. So this guy is fast. A little Spud Webb out there. I don't know if Spud Webb was 5'10". <laughs> no, five, Spud Webb was uh, – 5'10 would be uh, a growth I, I really like this Spud guy. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick just because you had eight – he's part of it, though. Eight receivers ran over four, uh, under 4'4", four, four, but – Again, they all they all come in different shapes and sizes. But if you're a team, if we didn't have Rondell Moore, man, this guy would be really intriguing. And Bergang, I'll say this because Mike Jarecki has been talking about Sky Moore for a while. The only reason I would lean a little bit away from him and maybe more towards a, a Christian Watson, Watson or yeah. someone yeah. is because of the difference between five ten and six four. Now, can you catch the ball? Can you get separation off the line of scrimmage? Then, if you can do all that. I just and, – and maybe that's a fault of my own, but you kind of get pigeonholed as far as what you want at certain positions, i.e., you know, everyone wants that quarterback to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". You want your outside wide receiver to be 6'4". You want corners to be a little bit taller, to deal with those taller wide receivers. So it, I just think these – excuse me. I just think these wide receivers are tough to cover. Look at Cooper Cup. He's yep. not very tall. Robert Woods, he's not very tall. Look at, look at Cole Beasy when he was playing. I mean, it's hard for these linebackers to go down and tackle these guys – um, but I, I, 
again, I if a guy has the measurables and you go back to Christian Watson, I mean, this guy, uh, he competed in track. See, you, and you talked about his return skills. I mean, he would fill a lot of different holes, even though I think the Cardinals are intrigued what Rondell Moore can do uh, on punt return and kick return. And to your point, if you have a Rondell Moore, maybe you don't need a Sky Moore. I mean, as far as – They're basically the same guy. Same player. Yeah, you Unless need you want to go like four wide and five wide and got a bunch of Smurfs out there. Yeah, I think we saw that tried and <laughs> not go so well a couple of years back. But if you've got a Zach Ertz and a Max Williams, a healthy Max Williams, then maybe maybe this offense is going to look a little bit different. But Sky Moore checking in at number 44. We go back to the defensive side of the wall and at number 43, outside linebacker Nick Bonito out of Oklahoma, a junior, six foot three, 248 pounds. Yeah, and I like the fact that, you know, he's played a lot of football. He's, he's played in 39 games his first year. You know, he didn't play a lot, but he's played in 30 games. I mean, tackle for losses, 32, sacks, 18-5, pass breakups, quarterback hits in the 20s. He was a 2001-13 AP All-American. Um, again, you look at Oklahoma and some of those Big 12 schools, um, including the SEC. He was first team All-Big 12 Conference. And that was just his previous year. In, in, this, uh, in 2020, he was second-team AP All-American. So he's a big boy, 6'3", 240. And you look at that, he, he, was, he actually played in that Under Armour All-American game, and that's where he obviously got recruited. Um, he's from uh, Florida, but he ended up going to Oklahoma. And playing at a Power 5 school in Oklahoma, checking in at number 43. And I don't know, perhaps, maybe someone that Kyler Murray might have an eye on and being – bugging or at least hitting up the general manager, hey, pay attention to this Oklahoma Sooner. It's happened before. Yeah. He led the team with uh, 15 tackle for losses, nine quarterback hits, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, He was tied within the Big 12 with 48 pressures. But also he opted out of the team's bowl game to prepare for the draft. And they're going to see, I think, more of that happen unless you're one of those – Major bowls. You're on the semifinal, hoping to get a chance to go to the national championship game. I think more and more players are going to look towards their future, and it's nothing against what their their own college, but you have to kind of examine, you know, a bowl game on December 20th versus perhaps hearing my name called day one by the commissioner in the NFL draft. Yeah, and I, I don't begrudge anybody. I mean, obviously, when you sign up, it, it sounds good in theory, but if you're going to make a lot of money and you can start working out and getting ready for the combine and going through the interview process and, you know, just taking care of your body, becoming a professional, I'm not going to begrudge any of these guys. All right, we continue counting down from number 50. We are at number 42 in our first offensive lineman. It's a tackle out of Central Michigan. Bernhard Raymond, senior, 6'6", 303, certainly has the size to be either a left or right tackle. Yeah, he's played in 44 games. Um, he started 29, all-team, all-MAC, moved to tight end to left tackle. So he obviously, when he went there early on, he played tight end actually two years. And then over the last two years, he's played on the line. Um, he's another he's another guy that's on Bruce Feldman's uh, freak list. Reportedly, 4'6", 20 shuttle, 33 uh, vert. He, he jumped nine, uh, 9.7, so and he benched 450. It's a big boy. The Mid-American Conference Offensive Lineman of the Year, so that transition from tight end to left tackle, has not played tackle for very very many years, but has grown into a body to where you like that size to someone to protect either the quarterback's blind side or the other side. What This is really interesting, Craig. So I mentioned he played at 18 and 19 at tight end um, and then 20 and 21. 
His pet pass block snap, 743. According to Pro Football Focus, he let up one sack at tight end and at tackle. One sack, 743 opportunities. Not a major program, not a power five program, but Central Michigan still. Dan Marley? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he can, to, to your, yeah, if you can play, they'll find you. And Cotton Fitzsimmons got booed that day. Yes. They're not saying that now. Anyways, no, I digress. Not. All right, our final draft prospect here as we count it down for number 50. In at number 41, another safety, this one out of Baylor, Jalen Petrie, senior, 5'11", 198, ran a 4'4", 3'40", played well in the Senior Bowl and had a tremendous career at Baylor and was one of the better safeties in all of football in 2021. Yeah, I think he'll go a lot higher. Um as you mentioned, I mean, his first team Associated Press All-American finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, which is the nation's best defensive back, Big 12 Conference Player of the Year, first team All-Big 12. So, And he's he's a guy that he's kind of like a, a, a hybrid linebacker safety. You know, you look at his size, 5'10", 196. Um, he missed he, in 2019. He had a shoulder injury, but um, – He's a guy that can do a lot of different things. He can play linebacker, he can play corner, and he can play safety. So there's 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 a couple, um, you know, Hamilton from Notre Dame that probably will go high just based on his skill set, but I do think he'll be a first-round pick. But there's so many good players that, I, I unfortunately, he's going to go higher than what I got him. But as a player, though, the versatility will allow him to have a nice little career. The size at under six feet, under 200 pounds, but certainly impressed during the Senior Bowl week. Daniel Jeremiah wrote about this as far as what Petrie was able to do in coverage, especially when matched up against tight ends who have a big size advantage over him. Petrie instinctive and was able to get his hands on some footballs. He looked like a starting NFL safety. That's what Jer- Daniel Jeremiah had to write up on NFL.com. So to your point, yeah, maybe a little bit more towards the line of scrimmage and being physical enough to stay with a taller, much bigger tight end, either coming across the middle or if you have to cover him downfield. Yeah, I mean, he was the only player in the Big 12 with tack- 10 tackle for losses, two interceptions, started all 14 games. And he had the best run defense grade, 92.7, and then he, he also had the second highest overall defensive grade among Big 12 defenders at 86. This guy's around the ball a lot. So we'll see if Jalen Petrie hears his name on day two or perhaps squeezes into that late late first-round selection. So that is the look at our first 10 of the top 50 draft prospects. Counting down from number 50, Mike Jarecki's top 50 prospects, certainly defensive heavy so far, specifically at defensive line. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting, Craig, because – all these guys we talk about, I, I think they'd be nice plug-and-play in the second round. But when it comes to these receivers and these offensive tackles and these edge rushers, I mean, that, that that's going to dominate the first round of the draft. I mean, so it, there's a lot of good players there. we only gone through 10. But these, these guys can be meat and potatoes guys. You try to get them in the second or third round and plug-and-play. I mean, they all have done something um, – that sticks out at each school. Now it's a matter of how do they translate to the NFL because it's a lot different. It's a job now, and you know you got to take it serious. And hopefully they all do. But it's, it's a lot of it's between the ears, which you have to learn because if you're not playing fast and you're thinking, you're probably going to be behind the play. So it's more about mental when you get here. Our next episode we'll do 
31 to 40 as far as counting down to top 50. And everyone knows the big names. Everyone knows the top 10. But this exercise kind of gives you a, a, a sense of what else is out there, especially when the Cardinals are picking at 55 and 87 because everyone's board is different. And it's always good to kind of look back and write, here's what we listed as our top 50. And perhaps maybe you get one of those 50 players, you know, that you had at number 41. And perhaps you do select them with a pick in the 60s or the 70s. That's every team, every draft personnel person sees a draft prospect differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen them at number 31, 32 on, on some different mocks. Um, again, late first round, but, you know, you just don't see safeties drafted unless you're Sean Taylor. And, you know, obviously Tyron Matthew was a third-round pick. And, and But in this day and age – the safeties have to be able to cover the slot. They got to make sure they come down in the box, and that's what the Cardinals have in Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker. So it's just not, hey, you just cover the tight end. There's so much you can do. Again, I, I do think he could be a late first round pick, uh, depending on how many other safeties go. And I think he could be in that picture, at least in the top three. As they always say, the more you can do, the longer your career potentially can be in the National Football League. So that was the first 10. Uh, 50 draft prospects that we kind of tasked Mike Jarecki to count down, and we'll continue to look ahead and getting closer and closer to that date at the end of April for day one of the 2022 NFL Draft. A lot of fun. We'll do it again in our next episode. And on, on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.